This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, and I'm your host for today's program. You know, most of us desire to give our lives to a significant cause that is bigger than ourselves. Well, God has given us just that. A great cause, in fact, that is eternally significant. What is that cause? The church, the body of Jesus Christ. And the mission? A ministry of multiplication so that we might empower people in our presence to continue multiplying in our absence. Well, we call it mentoring, and Christ, of course, set the example so that we might mentor with the mind of the Master. Well, here to help us gain insight into what Christ's example teaches us about mentoring is Dr. Fred Shea. Dr. Shea is Professor of Systematic Theology as well as Academic Dean at Grace School of Theology. In addition, Dr. Shea is Managing Editor of Grace Theology Press. He's earned several degrees, including a Ph.D. from Trinity Theological Seminary and a doctorate in ministry from Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Shea has been in ministry for more than 40 years that include pastoring churches in Arizona, California, Texas. He is founder and president of Graceline, a ministry devoted to motivating Christians toward maturity in their faith. Dr. Shea, welcome back to Saving Grace. Well, it is a delight to be here this morning, Carmen. Well, we've got a great topic, and it's one topic that I am passionate about and have been for many, many years, and that's mentoring others. But let's start, if you will, by defining the word mentoring, because obviously that word is used in the in the world, and business world, in the secular world. Uh, but then there is a more sacred definition. So help us to to uh, separate the two. Well, Carmen, you know, the word mentoring is a, a word that's used today. Um, sometimes we call it coaching in the business world. Sometimes we call it discipleship from a more biblical term. But traditionally, it comes from the uh, ancient world of Greece, and it comes from a usage in a very familiar story of Ulysses. And in the mindset of the ancients, to be a fully formed man was to be a hero. And that meant you were able to conquer all of your passions and all of your fears and, and in a sense, destroy most of your passions other than that, that which was needed to maybe conquer or kill your enemies. But that doesn't work well in the Christian world because of our virtues of kindness and tenderness and love. But in the ancient world, the, arch, the archetypical hero is Ulysses, and he provides a portrait for his son, who is named Telemachus. He was a weak young man, and he needed knowledge and how to live life and courage for achieving manhood and learning how to be excellent in virtue in the difficult times we, that they lived in. Right. And so Ulysses gave that task to a person called Mentes, who was a mentor. And his job was to form in Telemachus the qualities of being a hero. And so Ulysses left him with these instructions. He says, quote, I leave you this, my son, whom I love so tenderly. Watch over his infancy and keep him, keep flattery far from him and teach him to vanquish passions and protect him not only in book learning, but also from the wiles of the world. 
So this this kind of mentoring was kind of a combination of being an old time football football coach and a military drill instructor, and then wow. of course mingled with the wisdom of a loving and good grandfather. So mm-hmm. mentoring mentoring was kind of a team event, and it's like Aristotle said. He said people don't naturally or spontaneously grow up to be morally excellent or practically wise. They become so, if at all, only as a result of a lifelong pursuit through a community effort. So it takes a, it takes a village, it takes a nation, it takes people to help do this. And so for us as Christians, we start with what we call the Great Commission, which tells us to make disciples. Yes, so that's the sacred part of it, is is following the command of Jesus to make disciples. Absolutely. And the Apostle Paul built on that in Colossians 1.28, where he said that I, I want to make every man or present every man complete in Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's our agenda. There's our task. There's something to do until Jesus comes to take us home. Absolutely, there is. And it's a, it's a wonderful and exciting mission and gives us that opportunity to build relationship, which is the most important thing for us in building relationships here on Earth. You know, I heard you speak on this topic about a year ago, I, su- I suppose, and I really appreciated the biblical insight that you provided on mentoring. And you used one, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 as your, your passage for that teaching. Could you kind of take us back there a moment and, and uh, help us to glean from Paul's words as you did? You know, 1 Thessalonians, along with the Second Thessalonians and both of the epistles to Timothy are beautiful examples of Paul's care and love, both for a church, but also for Timothy, the individual. Mm-hmm. But in that passage, in First Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12, uh, we, we see a variety of laws in one sense that, that can be applied to mentoring. The first law is what I call the law of perspective, and that is our ability to see them sovereignly placed by God in our very lives. The Apostle Paul says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own children. Now, think about that picture Paul gives us. This is the picture Paul has about the people he's been entrusted with. He sees them. He sees himself, in a sense, as a nursing mother caring for these children that God has put in front of them. So this is a very good trait that we need to have, seeing that God has, by his sovereign will, put these people in our lives. No accident. Law, no mm-hmm. accident. Absolutely. The, the second law would be the law of participation. And that is our desire to be personally involved in their lives. Paul put it this way in verse 8, having thus a fond affection for you, we were so pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Paul wanted to participate with these people because he loved them. He was involved with them. He was close. They were connected. This this wasn't some email ministry. This wasn't some distant ministry, although you can mentor from a distance, and we do that these days. But Paul made it a life-on-life participation. And of Mm -hmm. course, whenever you do that, there's also a price to be paid. And so the third law is the law of price, and that's our willingness to sacrifice on their behalf. He says in verse 9, for you recall, brothers, our labor and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
I mean, you can just hear the the burden that Paul has to get the truth to these people and especially to a few key men. But he realized it would cost him something. And so we worked night and day. We did whatever we did because we didn't want to be a burden to any of you because we wanted to proclaim to you the truth of God. The fourth law is what I think I would call the law of pattern. And that is our understanding that we must be what we want them to become. Verse 10, Paul puts it, he says, you are witness, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. You get that that triad there? Your witness, and so is God, how devout, how upright and blameless we lived, we acted, we behaved among you. Paul says, listen, I'm giving you that pattern. And as he says in other places in both Thessalonians, he says, mimic me, follow me, follow my pattern. So the law of pattern is essential if we're going to be an, an impactful mentor to people. And, and you know, finally, that, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's a huge responsibility when you talk about counting the cost, but that that accountability is a cost as well, because we, like you say, we have to we have to be intentional about working to be more like Christ and allowing the Spirit to to control us. You know, there's always the danger of um, saying one thing and doing another. Mm. And if you're very close to your mentors or mentorees, they're going to pick up on that. So yeah. there's that sense of authenticity that needs to be there. Absolutely. And then, and then the final law I call the law of purpose, and that is our commitment to their spiritual growth as individuals. Paul put it in verses 11 and 12. He says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring, get those three, exhorting, encouraging, and begging, each one of you as a father with his children, he started with the nurse, now it's to the father, from the mother to the father. Each one of you as a father with his own children, so that, here it is, here's the purpose statement, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the mm-hmm. God who calls you into his own kingdom and mm-hmm. glory. Mm-hmm. Now, there's the ultimate purpose. Of course. And, and, and so if we don't have that in front of us, we don't have much to give. And so yeah. we need to see mentoring as a blend and a balance where we we exhibit Christ through our lives. We we educate our protégés. We exhort them at times. And we got to give them a lot of encouragement because oh. there's going to be failure in life. And we got to be there to help pick them up when that happens. We absolutely do. Oh, wow. Those are just excellent uh, steps for us to consider. We're going to mentor and and really pouring into someone's life. I love that idea of investing in their lives. Uh, it's not just teaching a Bible study. Sometimes when we think about mentoring, it's why we're just supposed to teach them a Bible study. No, it truly is caring about every aspect of their life because that's the way Christ cares about us, every aspect of our lives. Uh, so it's, it's a huge responsibility, but I think one of the most rewarding uh, that we can can be called to do. Well, I mentioned in the opening about the importance of multiplication. Paul charged Timothy uh, in that same regard. Uh, talk about his charge to Timothy that we see in Second Timothy 2, too. 
You know, in Second Timothy two two, this is kind of the the, the magnum opus that, that Paul told Timothy that he is supposed to find faithful men who he can give to, and then they will find faithful men who they will give to. So yeah. it's a ministry of multiplication. This is what Jesus did with the 12. This is what Paul did not only with Timothy, but with many others. And that is essentially what we are called to do as we live out our Christian life. I love to tell the story of one day uh, I was in a class and Howard Hendricks from Dallas Seminary was my teacher. And so every day before class, I'd go down early. He would always be standing at the podium and I'd talk to him and and uh, go down and ask him a couple of key questions. And then I'd leave and then he'd teach the class. So one day I went down and I said, Dr. Hendricks, I think it would be a good investment of your life if you discipled me. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. That's pretty that rash. Is. That is. <laughs> I, I kind of shudder when I think about it now. But, but he looked at me and smiled, and he said, Fred, I think that would be an excellent investment of my time, but the seminary makes me spend time with the majors in Christian education, and I wasn't one of those. And so I thought, well, that makes sense. I understand. But then he looked at me with a little twinkle, and he said, but my office hours are open to whoever. And so um, I took that as an open invitation. So I went down every week, I'd get on the calendar and I'd get my time with Howie Hendricks. And wow. I'd go in there and get, I'd go in there for my 20 minute session. That's all That's all everybody got. But I'd go in with my questions, I'd ask my questions, we'd talk and then I'd leave and I'd be back the next week. So it worked out well. But um, he, he multiplied part of his life in me and he reminded me, he said, Fred, when I come visit you, who knew when that was going to be? But when I come visit you, I'm going to be asking you, where are your men? So one day he came to visit me at a school I was teaching at, and he came and found me in my office, and we were talking about it. And all of a sudden, the person that I had discipled kind of walked by, one of our students, and I pulled him in, and I said, I said, Dr. Hendricks, I want you to meet CL. He was a, a guy. I said, this is one of my men. Yeah. CL was so excited to meet Howie Hendricks that he took his Ryrie study Bible, gave it to Howard Hendricks and had him, had him sign it. So <laughs> Howard Hendricks is signing his name in, in Ryrie study Bible. It was hysterical. Oh. Oh, that's... But, but the ministry goes on. It yes. goes on from one man to another man to another man. Absolutely. And, I, and you brought out something that's important for our listeners. Perhaps there's someone listening who would like to have a mentor, someone to mentor them. Maybe they didn't know that you actually can approach someone and ask them. I've had that happen again and again. And I always feel that uh, if there's time on my schedule and God has called them or has, asked, has, has urged them to ask me, then perhaps I should pray about it and accept that opportunity. Uh, so, they need to be bold like you were, uh, Dr. They need, they need to be bold, and we need to be looking for the right people because you know what? We're getting older. I mean, when you look in terms of the evangelical church, but especially in the free grace leadership, yeah. we're getting older. I mean, let's be honest, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Dillo, Dr. Larry Moyer, and Joe Wall, and Bob Tebow, and Charlie Bing and, and this group of people, we're getting a little bit older and we have got to be passing on things to the next generation because leadership is about empowering other people as a yeah. result of my presence, which is going to ensure impact when I'm gone. That is for sure. And so important for pastors as well who are listening to make sure they may have been in a church for 20 years, but who are you preparing to to uh 
be there when you're when you're gone. So very important. Well, now you say that mentoring is a ministry of affiliation and association. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, you look at the Apostle Paul, and he was with people. He was with the people of Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica, and he was definitely with Timothy and Titus, and he built into their life. Second uh, yeah. Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, he writes to Timothy, My beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father of Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. I mean, this is an emotional person. This is a guy who is connected to a man, Timothy. You think of Acts chapter 20, Paul loved the Ephesian elders, and when he had to leave, they gathered together, they wept, they cried, they prayed, and Paul charged them. This was a man who wasn't just mailing it in. This was a guy who was connected, he was associated, he loved these people. He wasn't fake. It wasn't some programmatic thing. It was life on life. It was genuine. Oh, it was beautiful. It reminds me of a family. It's looking at those you mentor as part of your family, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And, yeah. and a family member you love. And that's yeah. what Paul did. He loved He loved them. And, and like you say, could cry with them. He could laugh with them. He, he was doing life with them. Just a beautiful picture. Mm. You know, we we talk about the importance of imparting grace to those that we are mentoring. Uh, but how important is it, Dr. Shea, that we understand God's grace for us as mentors? Well, you know, love and grace seem to go together. Uh, if we're not loving, then we're simply going to fall into techniques, if it's not a genuineness, then it just becomes a methodology, and that's the death knoll of any real mentoring relationship. It has got to be based on love, and it's got to be based on grace. I mean, grace is that unmerited favor. It's that undeserved blessing. It's that unearned, unwarranted love from God to us, but then we're able to extend that to other people, hopefully, that we are minting. So grace is essential as a motivational mechanism in mentoring. We must receive it in our own life, but then we have to express it in the lives of the people we're building into. So it's kind of like you can't give what you ain't got. That's not really good English, but it's good theology. And yeah. we've got to make sure we're experiencing the grace and love of God so we can give it to other people. Yes, uh, I know. I also have learned over the years that if you have wounds that are not healed in your life, it's very difficult for you to go then and counsel or mentor someone who has those same wounds uh, because you've not been, you're not able to express to them what Christ has done through you because he's still working. He's still healing. He's still getting you through. Uh, so I, I, I feel like that that's an, something that arises quite often these days. People that are wounded trying to mentor but failing and, and then get discouraged. Well, and sometimes the the undealt with wound keeps you away from that topic with the person you're trying to train. But sometimes you end up faking it. You pretend like you're over it when you're not. And that's just like a bandage over an open wound. It's not really going to get healed. So, yeah, it's very important for us to deal with our own issues before we're going to be able to help others. Yes, yes. You know, the enemy is working overtime these days and his schemes and his lies to individuals are 
really bringing a lot of people down and they don't recognize uh, the lies. They don't see them. Uh, how do you go about um uh, helping individuals that you're mentoring to grasp their identity in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the best passages for me is found in Ephesians chapter one. So this is the theological answer. And and that is saying the father chose me before the foundation of the world. The son redeemed me in time and the spirit sealed me forever. Ah, Now, if, if that's true, and I think it is, then think what that says about me. Mm. It's not all about me, but it does say something about me. And therefore, and if you read through the rest of the book of Ephesians, you realize I'm a new man. I'm a new person. I'm not who I was. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was empty. Now I'm not. I am filled and sealed with the spirit of the living God. That is who I am. And when the enemy wants to tell me I'm not, I need to go back and say, but God's word says I am. And I'm going to take that to the bank. And so from a theological perspective, we need to understand what the Bible says about who we truly are. I am not who I was. Mm -hmm. From a personal perspective, personally, it's essential that we, as mentors, we need to be able to see with a future orientation. Oftentimes, the people we're mentoring, they're not able to see or predict what's in their future. And Mm -hmm. in one sense, for, for me as a mentor, I need to help affirm and encourage them to believe that the Lord has plans and a place of ministry for them and wants to, to use them for his glory. Yes. Jesus had, Jesus had to encourage his disciples. You know, he had to reprimand them at times, but encourage him at other times. And so as mentors, we need to see beyond what we see today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think of people that I mentored 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and these were young little kids, I call them, going to college, getting first into seminary, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, is there any hope for this? Is this going <laughs> to turn out well? And now they've graduated, they've gotten doctoral degrees, they're teaching, and I hire them to teach for us, and uh-huh. they're writing books, and I just go, oh, Lord, unbelievable. And yeah. so I am so glad that somebody in my life years ago saw beyond what I was and saw what God could make me into. And um, I'm glad I, I need to do that with people today. I need to look beyond where they are and see where I know that God can take them. Yes. And we see God, you know, uh, God did that with Gideon, you know, Christ. Uh, Absolutely. You know, always looked beyond where people were and, and get, to give them the potential that they had. You look at David, my goodness, where the Lord chose him. And, and uh, so it gives us all hope when we see throughout the Bible that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. Well, how important do you think it is as uh, personal transparency and authenticity when you are mentoring? Because sometimes as Christians, we feel like we need to put on a front that everything's good in our lives. Uh, and that's why, you know, I'll be a good mentor because I've got it all together. <laughs> But is that really what individuals are looking for, someone that has it all together? Well, you know, sometimes people are looking for that bionic believer to kind of show the way and tell them everything to do. And uh, I think it's essential that we have transparency and be authentic. We have got to not be the professional Christian. We have got to be the personal Christian. 
Because in order to impact people, you got to be close enough to infect them. And if you're that close, they're going to see a lot of stuff in your life that may not be all that professionally put together. They need to be able to realize you're a real person with real strengths and weaknesses and abilities and problems. And so we want to challenge them to be real. But that means I got to be real. I got to be authentic, not antiseptic. I'm yeah. not trying to impress them with me being their mentor. I mean, by nature of my position and place in their life, that's a given. What's needed is a relationship that's rich with my own personality and the wisdom that the Lord has given me and my walk with him. That's what I have to impart. That's how I'm going to influence them, not by being this perfect, you know, cookie cutter Christian that everybody sees all the perfect things in me. Oh, no, they need to see everything. Yes, yes. Yes, I think, and I think that's what they're looking for is someone that is real. Uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that wear masks. Uh, they really need to see the real you. And it's okay to share our struggles because it may be the very struggles they're having and they feel like they've got a partner to help them through that. Wouldn't you say? That's absolutely true. And I, but I'd add one caveat. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes during the 1960s and 70s, we had the, the psychology movement of humanism and we had it's all about me, 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 me. And and so we were, everybody was kind of encouraged to share yourself, share everything. There are times in life when it's not appropriate to share everything with everybody. You yeah. do need to have some perspective on that. So everybody's personality is different. Some people overshare, some people undershare. I'm not saying I know what's perfect, but we do need to share. But that doesn't mean we spill our guts to everybody we meet. We've got to be selective in that. Yes, yes. Good, good advice. Wow, I could talk to you for an hour or so. We only have a minute left. But uh, if you would, in our closing, what advice would you give to someone that's desiring to mentor others? How do they get started? Well, I think, number one, you pray and you say, Lord, why me? Because you have created me and you have created me to make disciples. And so that's what I'm supposed to do. Second, I have to realize I've got to make this, I have to understand the purpose for which I'm doing this. I'm doing this to serve the Lord, not to build my ego. Third, you need to make sure you have some priority clarity, right? You need to make sure that you set aside the time, you make the time, you have a plan to build into somebody's life. I love the words of of, uh, Goethe. He said, things that matter least must never come about at the expense of things that matter most. And I think from a biblical perspective, mentoring is what matters most because it has the power to multiply. It's a ministry of multiplication. And, you know, as we get older, we start looking backwards and we realize I've been planting some trees and I'm not going to sit under their shade. But if they grow, they're going to be providing a great deal for a lot of people I'll never see. But I trust one day in heaven, we'll see it all and we'll say, thank you, Lord, for using me this way. Oh, that's beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Shea. This has been so inspiring to me. And uh, thanks to you, our listeners. I know that you were motivated as I am to be the change agents that Christ intends as we go out and leave tracks for the next generation to follow. Let me encourage you to check out our website at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu to see the many opportunities that we offer at Grace to earn a seminary degree or simply to grow in your knowledge and love for the Lord through our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. We're so glad you tuned in today. Please tell others about Saving Grace. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned. 
and it can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu slash center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.